In today's episode, I'm going to be sharing five principles behind the only digital marketing strategy you will ever need. So if you need to get your digital marketing strategy shaped up for 2023, you're in the right place. Let's do this. Welcome to the Exposure Ninja Digital Marketing Welcome to the Exposure Ninja Digital Marketing Podcast. My name's Tim Cameron Kitchen. I'm Head Ninja at Exposure Ninja. We're a digital marketing agency that helps our clients get more leads and sales online. And that is exactly what today's podcast is all about, helping you shape up your digital marketing strategy with these five key principles. Now, there's a YouTube version of this podcast. <laughs> Just go to YouTube and search for Exposure Ninja and you'll find it. Okay, principle number one, nobody cares. Whoa, horrible. Don't worry, it's true. Um, nobody cares about your business or about you or really anything that you stand for. And that sounds utterly brutal, but let me explain. Let's imagine, um, think about the place that you buy clothes from, right? The retailer that you buy clothes from or the brand that you buy clothes from. Now, why do you buy from that company? I'm sure a couple of reasons pop into your head. Things like I like the clothes, the good prices or my favorite people also shop there. I know I look good in the clothes, whatever. Now imagine that someone just knocks on your door or walks past you in the street and says, hey, stop shopping at that store. Come and buy clothes from us. We sell clothes too. Now at this point, what reason do you have to buy from them? None. You don't care at all. There is nothing to make you care. And the brutal truth is that a lot of the businesses that we talk to and that we see asking us for advice are basically a slightly worse version of the most popular competitor in their category. Or at least that's what they look like to the outside world. Okay, so back to our clothing example. Now let's imagine instead that we see an advert for a new clothing retailer on Instagram. Uh, this ad has been targeted at you because of your interests in other similar brands and, you know, the demographics and all that type of stuff. So it's targeting you and you're interested in these types of clothes. Now let's say that the ad shows someone with a similar body type to you looking freaking sick in these clothes. You can immediately tell from the tone of voice in the ad that the brand is right up your street. Now you're interested. You have a reason to care that this brand exists because the clothes look cool and they're relevant. This is so obvious, right? But exactly the same thing applies to your marketing. If you have a website that looks like everyone else's, your USPs are the same as everyone else's and your audience is basically everyone or a version of everyone, we'll come back to that in a second, then you're gonna have real trouble getting anyone to care about your brand, let alone spending money with you. So let me give you an example of this in practice. Now, we've been running this service called Fix Your Machine, and this is where we work with businesses to get their marketing all shaped up and basically a bit of a marketing glow up. We work on things like customer personas and um, understanding from their customers why people buy or don't buy from them. We work on their USPs and the, their calls to action, their offer and their branding, that type of stuff. So that's Fix Your Machine. Anyway, one of the businesses that we've been working with on this recently is a custom PC builder. Uh, so they sell like custom gaming PCs. Now, when you go on their website, first time, I'll be completely honest, it looks naff. It looks like a worse version of everyone else who's selling these products, okay? They look smaller and they look worse than the main players. Less stock, longer delivery times, worse website, right? Am I selling them to you? No, I'm not. But then again, you know, are they selling themselves to their customers? Not particularly well either. Now, after speaking with the company, I find out that actually they personally advise every one of their clients. They will happily talk on the phone for hours to get that PC absolutely right, to make sure that the customer isn't overpaying, isn't underpaying, make sure it's perfect for the use case that they have in mind. 
if they can sell a customer on a lower price machine, and that's going to be absolutely suitable for their needs, then they will do it. Right? This is a massive contrast to the other companies, the larger companies in the space who have huge sales targets, they've got unsold inventory, they need to just shift. It's a completely different thing. So now by telling the story about how this company interacts with their customers, we can turn their small size, the fact that they're smaller than their larger competitors into a competitive advantage, we can actually make people care. All right. Now, whilst this is a really small business that we're working with on this particular thing, there are other examples where we're working with the larger competitors, and we're trying to make the larger competitors stand out. So in that case, you'd find another story, you'd find a different story, which sold the fact that the large business, you know, there's an advantage to being large. But you can see there that just by identifying what that story is, and figuring out how we can tell that story on the website, we can make people who land on that site care much more about their business. It doesn't just look like a worse version of everyone else. Actually, great, they're a small firm, that means they can talk to me. Okay, so this is why making people care is the first thing that you need to nail before building out the rest of your marketing strategy. Why should people care about your brand? And why should they buy from you over your competitors? You need to be able to answer these questions before you can build a marketing strategy. Okay, so that's first principle. Second principle is competitor analysis, or competitor research. So your competitors are a total goldmine when it comes to your marketing strategy, and not just your direct competitors, but even the businesses that you aspire to be like outside your industry, outside your space. Now, if you're unsure who your online competitors are, a lot of people get this wrong. A lot of people think that their online competitors are maybe companies that are selling the same service as them. Whereas actually, a lot of the time, your online competitors are people that are competing for the same eyeballs as you. They might not be selling the same service, they might be selling the software version of what you do, or they might be selling the service version of what you do, or they might be selling something entirely differently. But when people are typing that into search, that's what they're seeing instead of you. Or when people are looking for a particular solution on social, that's what they're finding rather than you. So your online competitors don't necessarily mean your sort of business competitors. Anyway, but by looking at their websites, their apps, their marketing strategy, you can see which content is performing well for them. So you can use a tool like SEMrush to see their data. Now we have a uh, we've negotiated with SEMrush a free 30 day free trial that you can get at thankyouninjas.com. So if you want to play with this, you can just go and sign up for that at thankyouninjas.com. You don't need to buy it or anything, you can just go and get that and then you can plug your competitors in. So what you can do just stick their URL in. And then if you go to organic research, and uh, you can have a look at the pages with a which are driving them the most organic traffic, basically the pages that are ranking best, you can see when you put in a whole bunch of your competitors, you can start to spot the patterns. So are lots of your competitors using long form how to content? Can you use that for your business? Are your competitors ranking their core product or category pages? And if so, what are they doing on those pages, which is slightly different? Now I explain this in much more detail in the video. So if you want to go and have a look at that, just head over to our YouTube channel, just search for Exposure Ninja. You can also use this type of competitor research as a great way of validating ideas that you might have. Let's say you've got a great idea for building out a particular piece of content on your website. Well, you can go and have a look and see if your competitors have already done this or a version of this if they have and it's generating them no traffic, well, you've just saved yourself a whole bunch of time putting that thing together because you know, that it's not going to work unless you know that you can make it so much better. At the same time, if they've done it, and it's going really well for them, then you know, hey, this thing works, we just need to focus on making it much better. You can also look at things like the calls to action that they use on their website. This can be really key. So how are they turning cold traffic into leads or sales? What are they having to offer? And 
can you do a better job of that? Now, in most markets, your main competitors are going to suck at CTAs, they're going to suck at their front end offers. So you might want to look at some more aspirational businesses for this type of inspiration. You can also have a look at things like the social platforms that people are posting to, the events that they're attending and holding, the publications that they're featured in. You can get all of this data from SEMrush if you want to. Okay, the next principle is knowing your audience. We can't overstate this, but it's amazing how many businesses don't know the answer to who is your target audience or can't answer this without BS, right? Now, I'll give you some red flag answers to this question. Anything that starts, it depends, mm, bit of a red flag. That usually indicates that a business is unclear about their target audience. Uh, another red flag, everyone who... If their answer says everyone who, then it's likely that they've got a very general marketing message, which is unlikely to get real traction with any one particular customer group. The third red flag answer is anything that starts with, we don't really have a, hmm, we don't really have a target audience. Now, either they are legitimately so mass market that they really don't have a target audience. But I've got a thing that even like Coke and McDonald's, even they've got target audiences, even they know who they're selling to, they might have quite a lot of them. And but they need to talk in different ways to each of these target audiences. If you don't think you've got a target audience, the trouble is you're making ads, you're making marketing material that is unlikely to resonate with anyone because it hasn't been optimized to fit. I think of like a marketing message and a target audience a little bit like two sides of a jigsaw, right? When they click together, you get amazing resonance. And you can get real sort of influence over that target audience with a really tailored marketing message. If you have just a general marketing message, well, that's not going to fit into your target audience's puzzle piece, right? It's like a big flat piece. It's not going to fit into like the grooves and the nooks and crannies of your target audience. So it's much less likely to resonate. And that means that someone with a much better optimized puzzle piece is just going to snot it slot in nicely. Hope that makes some sense. Your audience has a huge impact on your marketing activity, influences the channels that you use, your tone of voice, even the colors, fonts and images that you might choose for your branding. So unless you actually get this nailed, a lot of it is going to feel like it doesn't really resonate. Now some good examples of this. And again, you can go to the video if you want to have a look at this. Um, Aviva. Aviva is a well known insurance company in the UK. But due to the nature of what they sell, like loads of different types of insurance, their target audience is super, super unclear. And that means they don't really resonate. They don't really have a, a sort of sticky hook in any way at all. They are left to do mass market. They're left to try and attract clients based on price because they don't really have anything else to sell for. Now, in some ways, this is inevitable. They're a large company. And once you get to massive size, you're not niching your products. You're not niching your service anymore. You're going mass market and that's totally okay. But still, if you want to get traction, then you can advertise to specific sectors and tailor your message. So on the Aviva website, the content that you know, it's not particularly inspiring, it's very sort of uh, functional and treats insurance as a utility, as a lot of these types of businesses have to do, because they don't have any other way to resonate because they are so broad. So what they do instead is they rely on messages around, you know, being reliable, the fact that they help loads of people, the fact that they've been around for ages. Now, if you're a startup, and you're trying to copy Aviva, well, you can get loads of if you're trying to copy their success, sorry, you can get loads of traction against them by just picking some target audiences, and you can start chipping away. So lemonade insurance as a sort of contrasting example, um, has a much clearer tone of voice a much clearer audience if you go to lemonade.com. Now what they've done is they've really disrupted the insurance space by the having these sort of quirky graphics and the cool products. And it's basically designed looks to me uh, for younger people. Okay, so the people in the pictures and the 
the sorts of insurance they're offering, and even the people that they're using in their testimonials and quotes. These are younger folk. They are people who aren't particularly attached to any of the insurance incumbents, if you like. And they're much more likely to sign up for something that's a bit younger and a bit cooler and a bit appy, if you know what I mean. It's a bit more sort of app-like. So they're disrupting the space. They know their audience. They know that their audience finds traditional providers to be stuffy and complicated. So they simplify stuff. So instead of stuff like get contents insurance, right? People maybe do know what contents insurance is, but it's a bit of a sort of technical jargony term. They just say, keep your stuff safe or insure your house and your stuff right? Because contents is stuff. Sounds so simple, doesn't it? But because they've done that work to identify their target audience, and they're not worried about putting off the folk who thing or stuff is a bit informal, they can really resonate with that crew. So their target audience is much more likely to go with them over a business like Aviva, because they feel like the business is on their level. They feel like this is something that resonates with them more. So this is why a clear target audience is such a crucial part of any marketing strategy, because you can get that sort of resonance. Otherwise, it's just going to sort of float past people like a gentle breath of air, never sort of hurricaning them straight into your checkout or your lead capture form. And by the way, if you don't know whether your marketing strategy matches your target audience, then you can request a free website and marketing review from the team here at Exposure Ninja. It really helps to get a fresh pair of eyes from people who live and breathe digital marketing. So go to ExposureNinja.com forward slash review to request a free website and digital marketing review from the team here. We will have a look at your website, your digital marketing, what your competitors are doing, and we'll map a prioritized action plan that you can follow over the next six to 12 months. We'll send this to you via email. You can implement it yourself. You can ask us for help. You know, whatever you need to do is totally cool. So go to ExposureNinja.com forward slash review. It's completely free and it's amazing. Okay, next Key principle, jargon is out. Now, caveat, there are some businesses that think they really need to use jargon. Let's say um, you're selling medical equipment, for example. Now, you might think, okay, we're selling medical equipment, we have to get really technical, that's what our audience likes. Well, let me challenge you on that. Let's say your target audience is medical facilities. Just because your target audience is medical facilities doesn't mean that the person looking at your website is the top surgeon. I remember a Dan Kennedy quote a while back where he was selling to um, selling to doctors and the highest performing headline, I'm going to get this slightly wrong, but the principle will be there. The highest performing headline that they found in their ad copy was something like, did you know your brain is 70% water? Right? And this was selling to doctors. This was like well-educated people that should be well beyond that type of stuff. But guess what? Even doctors click on the Daily Mail sidebar stuff, right? Even doctors, even people who know jargon, they still respond to plain English copy. And in general, it tends to outperform. So the person looking at different options for your medical equipment might be someone who has less knowledge and they've just been tasked with researching options. We've spoken to some uh, very large medical device manufacturing clients who have told us, actually, do you know what? It's a bit of a misconception that our target audience really knows anything about what they're buying because the people who are buying are huge equipment, the people that are signing these multi-million dollar deals with these hospital groups or whatever, actually, this might be the first time they've ever purchased something like this. So if we start talking jargon, they're not going to get it. We need to talk about what's most important to that person, which is going to be like cost savings or efficiency or helping patients get the best care or whatever. So actually, jargon is way less useful and way less important in a marketing sense than many people think, even if they're in jargon heavy industries. But for most of us, jargon is is only an impediment. Uh, let me give you an example. So um, in the medical device space, 
because we're talking about that. Um, you've got uh, a company like Samsung Healthcare, right? Let me just read you something here. So Crystal Beam utilizes arbitrary waveform transmission, massive parallel beam forming and synthetic aperture technologies to produce a faster frame rate and improved image uniformity. Right, what does this mean? Unless you actually know the detailed technical information about how these devices work. And by the way, the customers, the end users of these products don't, <laughs> right? Unless you actually know that jargon, all of that copy is totally meaningless. It just leaves you with the impression that, do you know what? This product isn't for me. Maybe somebody's meant to buy this thing, but it's not me because I don't understand any of this stuff. So let's think about another example from a uh, sort of B2C, um, a B2C uh, a case study. Nutribullet, right? Nutribullet, you know, the sort of um, the blender thing. Well, See, I can't even describe Nutribullet without calling it a Nutribullet because I don't actually know what product category it's disrupting. So let me explain. How did they disrupt the food blender market? Because they're just selling like food processor, food blender type things, which have been around for years. Like everyone has one tucked in that drawer at the back in their kitchen, which they never really use. So how did Nutribullet manage to sell something which everyone doesn't just put on the drawer, they put on the top of the work surface and they use it on the reg? Like what's going on there? Well, the incumbents in that space, companies like Bosch, were talking about things like the number of switching stages in their devices. I'm looking at a product page for a Bosch um, Nutribullet sort of equivalent now. And it's called the Blender Vita Power Series 2 450 watts stainless steel. And the product overview says it's got one switching stage. The blade design is a four wing blade stainless steel. Usable volume is 0.6 of a litre. It doesn't have a pulse function. Well, like how exciting is that? <laughs> Am I going to buy that? Am I going to think, wow, that sounds way better than the blender I've got? No, Nutribullet bounces in talking about how delicious smoothies are and how you can unlock the power of fruit and make yourself healthy. Like Nutribullet basically selling as a sort of weight loss slash lifestyle product, exactly the same items as these other companies were selling. I don't know if there's anything necessarily different about a Nutribullet blender to a Bosch blender, except for the fact that Nutribullet, I don't know, do they even manufacture their own stuff? Not sure. Don't know how long they've been around, but it's nowhere near as Bosch. Have they sold as many blenders as Bosch? Probably not. But Bosch is there talking about like, you know, the particular switching service. I don't even know what that means. Nutribullet's talking about, hey, this is nutritious and delicious and you can get healthy. Everything's perfectly portioned. Hey, smoothies are awesome. Yeah, whoa, you can blend on the go, right? It's a completely different language. So what's the audience really buying in this situation? The best way to find out if your audience likes jargon is to actually speak to your customer service or sales teams. If you speak to your customer service or sales teams, these are the people in the business who often speak to customers most often. So they know what to terminology customers use and what they actually care about. Now, what's really interesting here is that a lot of the time the customer service, but particularly the sales teams in a company are a little bit looked down on by the rest of the company, particularly the technical departments, because they think, well, you know, the sales team, they don't really get it. They're all just talking about like hype and they just talk about, you know, they don't use the proper terminology. Well, guess what? Your sales team are often the people that are most calibrated to your audience. So it's not them that's wrong right? They've got it. They understand. They know that they need to talk in plain English. Do you think the average blender buyer makes their decision based on what the connection rating wattage or body construction material is? Absolutely not. They make it based on, you know, what's going to make what's going to be easiest, what's going to be most delicious and what's going to help me lose weight, right? It's that type of stuff. So 
you need to figure out what your audience actually cares about. Drop the jargon in most cases. Okay, uh, what are we on now? We're on the next principle. I don't know if it's fourth or fifth. I can't remember. This is acknowledging failures and learning from them, of course. Yeah, we don't just want to say, hey, yeah, that was a failure. Never mind. Off we go. Um, Yes, you can make informed decisions based on your target audience, your product offering and your competitors. Sometimes those ideas won't work out. The most important thing you can do is figure out why something didn't work the way intended and fix it. Okay, so how do you do this? One of the best ways that we know to work out what's not resonating with a target customer is to actually talk to them is to get them on the phone, ideally the phone because then you can really probe them. If you can't do phone emails are second best, but it's quite a distant second best really the phone is the best thing that you can do. How often be honest, how often do you seek feedback from customers who buy and the leads who don't buy from you? And this is sometimes one of the most important exercises that you can do. You might find things that you've been emphasizing in your marketing, which actually don't mean that much to your audience at all. Or your target audience didn't have a key objection handled, so they simply couldn't go ahead. You might find when you talk to your customers that a lot of them are going ahead despite having a key objection. They just took that leap of faith. Well, that's really interesting because for every person who takes that leap of faith, there might be five people who don't take that leap of faith. So if you can iron out that leap of faith requirement in your marketing by handling that objection in your copy or in your images, well, you can get access to those people that wouldn't have bought from you otherwise. Now, one pattern that we see a lot is a really competitive market, usually B2C, with loads of well-funded businesses spending so much fighting over a small group of customers that they're all losing money, okay? And then a client will come in and they'll dip their toe in, they'll get burned, and then they'll say, oh my gosh, the whole thing is a washout, made that mistake, I'm not going back. Actually, in many of these cases, if we can be smart, if we can take a, a step back and find a more economical way to get in front of that same group of customers, there could be plenty of opportunity for growth. So sometimes it's just a case of choosing your marketing channel. If everyone's flocking to PPC or everyone's flocking to SEO or everyone's flocking to paid social, you might need to find a different way of approaching that group. So, um, you know, legal is a, an example of a an industry that will be very heavily relied on PPC, on, on Google ads, on search ads, Google and Bing ads. But because everyone's doing it, there'll be very high cost per clicks. It's very expensive to get paid traffic for many legal um, sort of uh, legal niches in most countries in the world. In fact, some of the most expensive keywords we've ever seen are in the legal space. So maybe rather than doing that, maybe rather than just copying everyone and saying, right, everyone else is doing this, so I need to do it. Maybe it's a case of looking at other ways you can get in front of those people, targeting them with top of the funnel content, which ranks in search, for example. So maybe answering some questions that they might have, or maybe uh, creating a group for people on Facebook who have been through some particular issue and you can offer them advice and support. You know, you might have to find more creative ways of getting to that customer profitably if all of your competitors are sort of slogging it out in a bloody war over there, you might want to go find a blue ocean where people can get a bit more success. Okay, so great marketing comes from optimizing and refining your approach over time. You've got to notice what works and what doesn't work, but use what doesn't work to inform your next idea. So how do we approach this from a different perspective? So those are the five elements of digital marketing strategy that you can implement this year. Hope you've enjoyed this episode. If you have, don't forget to subscribe and go and request your free website and marketing review from the team here at Expo. Ninja, just go to exposureninja.com forward slash review. I will see you next week.